So, everybody doing good? Good. So, we just finished up with, uh, I just want to welcome you this evening, and we just finished up with the Humility and Grace series. And I just kind of feel like something's different tonight in a really good way, and I don't fully know exactly where the Lord wants to go, but that's not a bad thing. And uh, so I just want to, I've got several things there on my heart, but before we get into that, I think that's going to come up anyway. The question is, um, what questions do you have that are pressing? And uh, keep in mind that we have people that will be listening to this on archive and live stream. And so if you have a question, uh, make sure that you don't start asking me before you have the mic in your hand. And um, Anyway, but uh, that way they can hear it. We just want to make sure that we communicate well. But what questions are pressing in your life? And uh, maybe a question through humility and grace. Maybe we've talked about a lot of stuff recently. We've talked about healing. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about humility and grace. We've talked about um, proof, the proof series. And so we've covered a lot of kind of hot topics in a way. So do you have anything? If you do, just raise your hand and they'll... Uh, They'll come and get you, Mike. Is there any that's right now somebody goes, ooh, 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 I know, I know. Chris looks like he's got one. He doesn't. <laughs> you look like you were in thought right before that, so that's good. <laughs> so what will happen is somebody will have a question, and then all of a sudden it will break loose. <laughs> so anyway, just raise your hand at any time, and don't be shy. I promise we won't bring the camera and put it two feet in front of you. That'll be good. There you go. Could you tell the story that you told about um, Joel Osteen's dad again? Yeah. I'd like to review that. Yeah. Um, so there's a minister... Alrighty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. I don't know what that was. Anyway, um, so he asked me to tell the story about uh, John Osteen, who is Joel Osteen's dad. And um, so most of you are familiar with Joel Osteen, and most people's opinion of him is that he's a pretty, um, I, in a good way, he's a sugary, sweet kind of guy, like that's his personality, and uh, he's always talking positive and, you know, like that. Some people don't like that, some people do, um, regardless of what you think about it, that's how he preaches, and he preaches Jesus, and the Lord tells us not to mess with him. Well, his dad was known as a nice guy, too, his dad, John. Um, John was very much, though, uh, a powerhouse, and he was a very strong personality. And, <clears throat> just, and just like Joel, what you see on TV is not everything that he was. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is Joel behind the scenes, that whole ministry is a lot stronger uh, than what some people criticize them for. And John's ministry was like that too. But over time and as he got older, you saw more and more of that and you saw the power that John had and he was uh, pretty strong. So 
One of the strongest men today uh, in the kingdom of God that I know is Dr. Mark Barclay. And um, he was a Marine Corps commander. And um, so I relate to him pretty well, and I like him. And uh, some people don't like him because he's too strong. So, you know, you can't please everybody, and neither did Jesus. And that's all right. And, uh, but everybody has a call, and they got to stay in their lane. So when Dr. Mark was uh, young and pastoring, um, his pastor was John. And one day they were on the road, and uh, John, Pastor John, looked over at uh, Mark and said, well, ask me a question, you know, kind of like what I'm doing here tonight. Ask me a question, which is, you know, for John Osteen, that was a huge deal. It's kind of like, you know, going to the highest grade professor in the land and being able to ask him questions, you know. So uh, he was, his ministry was doing very well, and so Mark was very honored that he said that. They were driving around, I think, Dallas or Houston, one or the other. And um, he said... All right, Pastor, he said, why is it that the people that come into the church and they need something, they need, you know, money for food, or they need their light bill paid, or they need this, or they need that, why is it that those people who you would think are the abs, you know, should be the most thankful are the quickest ones to pick up and leave? And it seems, you know, why is that? And uh, John, John basically said, um, well, Mark, it's your fault that they're leaving, and it's your fault that they never come out of it. And, and he said, here was, you know, Pastor John that everybody thought was so sweet. And they never saw this side of him where he held a strong line. And uh, he said, what gives you the right to think that you can circumvent God's way and order and think that that's okay to teach people that way? And so um, Mark was like, whoa, did, like, did you hear my, what I asked? <laughs> you know, I, I asked, how do we, you know, we're helping them, we're feeding the poor, we're doing this, we're doing that. And, and um, he, said, he said, what gives you the right to circumvent God's way, basically, is what he was saying. And uh, he said, you're going to have to explain this to me. So he went to 2 Kings 4. He said, open your Bible. He said, and he opened it, 2 Kings 4, and there's the story of the uh, widow whose husband was a prophet and he had passed away, and they had debt, and she, they were about to have, there you go, they were about to have uh, the sons taken away to pay for their debt. And uh, the best, it'll be best just to read it, so we'll read a few verses. It says, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And I'm going to add some commentary in here along the way to um, go back, please, to verse 1. It says, you notice how she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. You notice how she's given her own little extra oomph in there, like this is what he did. In other words, what it, she's saying is he is deserving of some help. You know, I'm deserving of some help because he was good. 
Um, that's an issue, by the way. That's a spiritual issue because um, this is a part of a deception because what happens is the moment that you think that your works are what make you worthy is the moment you step out of God's order. Yeah. Yeah, the moment that you think, because actually when you go to the place where you realize what you deserve, you don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. You know, I may be doing great work now, but even my works right now, I don't want what I deserve out of them. Because, first of all, if every good and perfect gift comes from above, who is it coming from? What I do good, who's the source? So it wasn't me adding to that. You see what I'm saying? It was all God. So what I deserve was everything God didn't add, and I don't want that. And so this is an issue. She's already out of the Lord's ways and order, and his ways are holy. So this is, that kind of gives you some insight into her mind. And then it continues on uh, in verse 2. Elisha said to, you, to her, what shall I do for you? And I've heard it preached several times this way that basically says, uh, Elisha's going like this. This is how we would say it today. What do you want me to do for you? Yeah. What do you, so what? What do you want? And that sounds cruel and hard, but the point is he's getting her to the point she's coming to him expecting him to meet the need instead of coming to God. You see, she's pulling on a physical source and he's trying to get her eyes opened up where she will pull on the spiritual source. Okay, So he's helping her here, right here. What do you want me to do for you? Then it says, um, then he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? And uh, she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house, which is very interesting because then she, I mean, does she have nothing in the house? I mean, her very next words are, except a jar of oil. And one of the things that Mark, it was Mark Barclay telling the story, he said, uh, Dr. Mark said that um, the spirit of poverty will make you think that you have nothing when you actually have something. You know, it'll make you think that you have nothing. You know, so how many people are like, well, I, you know, I've been in this place before where you know, I'm coming to church and I didn't really have anything. Well, I don't really have anything to give. Well, that's not true at all. I had plenty to give. I had clothes. I had time. I had prayers. But the spirit of poverty is uh, making me only see, you know, what I had in abundance and not look at everything else. And uh, so that's the spirit of poverty. So again, she's looking at man to fulfill her needs. She's got this spirit of poverty on her. And uh, so Elisha says there, um, what do you have in your house? And here's where you see the order of God. In other words, uh, what he needed to do was not give her and fulfill that debt, he needed to receive from her on behalf of God. She needed to give to God and sow and plant. And then you see what happens. Uh, it goes on. She asked for it. The, oil, the miracle is the oil just keeps on pouring. And it's so much that it completely wipes out the debt and gives them everything they need to live on. This is a huge miracle. I mean, this is a huge miracle. And... Uh, 
to me, it kind of shows one of the proofs about, you know, not just receiving 100 times what you sow. It gives the impression that this is much more than 100 times. Uh, but it was 100% of what God wanted her to have, which is, you know, 100, 100 I would say it like this, 100 fold of what God actually wanted for. You see that again in the breaking of the loaves and bread. Um, so we always want 100% of what God wants for us. So uh, then Pastor John said this. He said, um, he said, when you, because of your poverty, Mark, and because of how you were raised up, you can't tell people the will of God and the order and the word of God because you're scared to ask them for that because of your um, limitations that you have in your brain. You are, you are limiting God, all right? And so he said, and it was true, he said, and that was why. He said, when I, he said, what you need to do, Mark, is the next time somebody comes and they're asking for a handout, you need to say, what do you have to give? And he said, and, and now I personally, as soon as I heard this story, I've kind of been applying that, you know. And it hasn't been real hard for me to do that because I guess I've had years of coming out of poverty now. But for Mark, when he was telling the story, he said, man, I was sweating and shaking the next time somebody came and asked me for something because I did not want to ask them that question. And the context that he was telling the story in, he was talking about breaking the spirit of poverty, and he was really talking about breaking it off of himself, you know. And he said, I was, I was sweating the next time they came, but I, they came, I asked them what they have, they brought a seed and sowed, God met that need. He said, what's amazing is, he said, now looking back on that situation, years later, he said, every person that I just gave and met their need, he said, I watched them over the years. They continued in the same thing. It's, I would call it personally like a user mentality where they're just looking to use uh, the system and everything. He said, but he said, uh, every person that I told them, what do you have to give to the Lord? He said, every one of those people came out of that cycle, and now they literally are the people that I'll call when we're doing a big project, and they always have uh, something to give to it. And uh, so they not only came out of that poverty, but they moved into the abundance of God. So does that answer it? Yeah, it's a great story. I, um, so anyway, he's, he's a strong teacher. Next question, Mr. J.D.? Um, my question to you is, it's, um, why do you fast? Why do you fast? Why do you? Because for me, I, you know, I recently did one for myself for the first one, first time ever. And, uh, I awesome. honestly was able to complete it. Not being as, you know, you think for three days you'd be starving. I did. I never did. I was never hungry the entire time. Um, but I've had several people say, why did you do that? What were you fasting for? And I was like, do yeah. I have to have a reason, or is there anything I should be fasting for? You know, so I've, I've been questioned repeatedly, and actually been called stupid more times than I can count <laughs> for fasting. For fasting, yeah. that, like why would you deprive yourself of food? That somewhat right? shows you the state of the world. Yes. All so, right. So that's, and I have another. So question. why did you fast? I did it to honor God. To that honor was, God. That was from that was because it was I, I really didn't need anything. Well, all, yeah. my, all my needs would have already been met. I mean, what did you get out of it? For me, it was. 
a lot, a, a, an understanding, you know, that he loved me, that he, that even though I wasn't eating, I never was hungry. So he was providing for me. He was providing what I needed for my body at the time, you know, that I was never hurting, that I was never having the, the hunger pangs that you would think for after three days, you'd be like, all righty thing. And, um, <laughs> I never did. So for me, it was, yeah, like I said, I, what I got out of it is just, you know, how he provides, how he brings, how he gives what you need, you, not what you want, but what you need. So yeah. I, I needed to be sated and there it was. Yeah. So, yeah. and I did it to honor him. Not, and not that I was needing like a, a, a you know, provisions or I was needing, you know, this or that or, or, or for anything for anybody else. I just did it to honor him. Well, the word says that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that basically physically don't make sense, but spiritually they do. And it says it like this, that these things are not physically discerned, but they're spiritually discerned. In other words, you're not going to get them by wrapping logic around it. Okay, Fast is, fasting is kind of one of those things. And uh, the thing is, what are you doing when you're fasting? You know, what you're doing is you are disconnecting yourself from the emotions and the draw of the flesh. Okay, and so if you're disconnecting from one thing, where are you? What are you doing in the spirit? What are you connecting spiritually? You're spiritually you're disconnecting from the physical and you're connecting to God. Uh, so it's just kind of making that uh, flow better. Um, maybe for some technical guys out there, you know, you can use, you know, like in audio, you can use copper uh, to make connections. Um, you can use aluminum, you know, but there's better grades of stuff like in audio, you would use gold or platinum or something like that, you know, something that would conduct better. Uh, well, fasting kind of helps us have that uh, continuity between us and God, so it helps us do that. Jesus talked about fasting, said that it was good. Uh, his disciples didn't fast while he was here, but he said they will when I leave. Basically, that's the context. Uh, so it's a good thing, but is it something that just your logic just completely understands and you know your physical mind goes after? No. Uh, but it's one of the absolute best things that you can do. And um, it helps you to uh, not only reconnect with God, but tell your flesh no. And um, we could all use more of that. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> we could all use more of that. Amen. Amen. There we go. That, that was it. There was fasting right there. All right. So, <laughs> um, and, but it also... One of the things that it does is when you're fasting, you're not looking to the flesh as your source. You're looking to the spirit as your source. You know, the reason why Jesus made it out in the wilderness was he was fed spiritually. Um, and instead of taking that time that he normally would to eat, he was spending that time eating spiritually and connecting with God, being in an intimate fellowship with God like the Reset series. Um, and so what happens is you find that um, when you fast, I've done, I've done several different kinds, um, when you fast, a lot of times you'll find that that connection gets stronger. It can become very sweet. Um, generally, your flesh is yelling the loudest on day two, at the end of day one and in day two. 
Um, at the beginning of day three, it kind of slows down. Uh, your flesh is not as loud, and it becomes very sweet. And a lot of times, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's always been like this, but a lot of times I'll get to day four or five, and all of a sudden I'm like, I really don't want to come out of this. But the Holy Spirit will be telling me that that's all I want you to go, you know, so uh, I'll come out. But uh, it's, it can be very sweet and very precious. Um, there's an intimacy that happens with you and God in the Spirit during that period of time. And uh, a lot of it just has to do with your flesh, you telling your flesh no. Um, there are some people that think that you cannot fast if, uh, if you're uh, eating. In other words, it's the only fast there is is not eating. Um, I would disagree with that. Now, when the Bible talks about fasting, in the majority of times, it is talking about not eating food. But it also does talk about other fasts, such as like uh, in the situation of a husband and wife, it says that they will stay apart uh, for a while to um, basically honor God. But they need to do that out of, um, they need to communicate and agree upon that. And so, in other words, it's not just something that a husband or wife decides, well, I'm going to do this, <laughs> you know. Um, they need to come back together in communication. And, but they can do that to honor God. Well, that is a sense of a fast. I've seen the, peop I've seen the Lord leading people to different types of fasts, like uh, a media fast recently. I've seen that. Um, I had the Lord one time. I was dealing with something. I don't even know what it was now. But I've done it several different ways. I was trying to put down, so it might have been when I was smoking uh, cigarettes, and, but there's been several things that he's done. Anyway, I was having a hard time putting down the flesh in an area, and the Lord said, fast it. Give it to me as a fast. And when I did that, it broke the power of it. And um, so then you look in Isaiah, um, I think it's 55, Isaiah, where it talks about, uh, is that right, 55, 8, it seems like. But um, anyway, in Isaiah, it talks about that a fast will break the bonds. And um, it, it will empower us and break the bonds. So we'll see. That's not it. It um, seems like it's 55. It, it's somewhere around in there. And um, I'd have to look it up for sure then. But... Um, Anyway, so fasting is very, very powerful as far as you got something that's over your life and controlling you. A fast can help break that. So does that answer your question? Yep, amen. Good. Randall had it first. Where is the first uh, finding in the Bible of laying on hands and what is the purpose of Laying on hands. The first instance of laying on hands. I don't know. We could look it up. Do a um, do a search real quick for laying on hands, and um, I don't remember if Melchizedek did that to Abraham or not, um, but he did bless him there. Um, yeah, it could have been could have been there too. It was either probably Melchizedek with Abraham, or um, um, Isaac blessing Jacob. Yeah, but then as far as um, 
in the New Testament, the, the you know, laying on hands, the anointing is transferable. And so, in other words, it's a, it's a tangible thing. I could, I could bring you up here and show you how I could let you feel that. Um, you know, it's not, it's not something like I, I could let you feel the, um, okay, there's one where the Aaron lay their hands on the head of the bull. So, uh, and uh, that may be where they were transferring the sin of the people onto the bull. I'm not sure. I'd have to read that in context. But, yeah, Levi. Yeah, Leviticus 1-4, there you go. So that was, um, that was where they were transferring the sin to the burnt offering there. So there's laying on of hands is a transfer. It's a, and, and that, the anointing is tangible. For instance, um, I've been talking about this a lot recently. It's been coming up. You know, where um, uh, Elisha passed away right and he passed away but he flowed in the anointing of God and the power of God and then they threw him into a cave uh, and they buried him or they buried him in a cave I don't know that they threw him but anyway he was in the cave <laughs> yeah that's that how it goes <laughs> so anyway then they did throw a young guy in there that had died and when that guy touched Elisha's bones life came back in him and he came running out of the cave. Now the interesting thing is the man, Elisha, was not living and flowing in the anointing. There was a residual <laughs> left in his body, all right? There was residual left in his body of anointing and power. And when the dead guy hit it, he popped up, he came back to life and came running out. All right, now here's the interesting question is, all right, if there was enough power in his body to bring life back to this guy, why wasn't Elisha alive? Which is a great question. And that's in, you can find that in Psalms 91 where it says he's given us the ability to have a full and satisfied life. This young guy, he hadn't had a full and satisfied life. Elisha had. And uh, so that would, that would be the answer to it. You also see that transfer not just in laying on of hands. You see it in anointing oil. You see it in uh, prayer cloths, right? I know um, a few, I think I got it a few months ago, the Lord told me to put anointing oil and keep it in my pocket and take it with me everywhere I go. And I've anointed more people recently. Why? Because every time I preach, every time I pray, every time I flow in the anointing, it's tangible. And so it doesn't make the oil by itself holy. It means that God can empower things. And that's why that's, you know, that's why I'll anoint people. We'll send, we got prayer cloths. They're always sitting here under the word, you know. And you may not think that that's powerful. I personally have seen four times in this past month where the anointing is so powerful it was setting people free that didn't even know that they were being set free. And it was putting pressure on the darkness and pushing it out. Um, I've seen, like physically seen that. Um, I'm not talking about weird stuff that only I can see. I'm, I'm just telling you about 
the symptoms of it. I know what it looks like, and I, I was watching it happen simply while we were having a service here. And uh, so that anointing is transferable, is tangible, and when you lay hands on somebody, somebody that's operating in a full and a flowing of that anointing, you're able to pass that on. And what's interesting is some people believe that and some people don't, right? And some people, it doesn't matter if they believe it or not because God's moving, I can release it in a way that it'll have an effect on people somewhat, but they can still resist it afterwards. So there's, you know, there's a lot of little intricacies to that stuff. The ultimate thing is God is good and he knows how to get his good stuff to people and we need to trust him. So that's, that's ultimately it. So do you have a second question? I'm going to let run. Where he's telling us to lay on hands? Where, uh, I'm not clear of how we're getting, how do you get that anointing that you have? Talk, talk into that. I'm just saying, how do you, as the pastor, receive that? Well, um, part of it is calling, you know, an office that I operate in, but that's, that's not the main way. That's, I would not say, see a lot of pastors would tell you that's the main way, but it's not. The main way is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, in other words, it's the glory in you because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said in John 17 that you are sent just like me, uh, when it says in John, I mean, Luke 4.18, it says that he came to set the captives free to release them from that bondage. The anointing, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. That anointing is to bring freedom. And so when a believer, not just a pastor, starts believing that I'm a carrier of something good, when they start believing in that, all of a sudden they, they unlock inside of themselves something that was there the whole time, and now they have, they're act, it's kind of like uh, there was a door blocking it. And when they start believing that, they open the door. And now God can flow through them. But there's, um, I think it's James 5 is one example. Yeah. Um, well, it talks about anointing them with oil there. It says... If anyone, which means, you know, you're rubbing your hands on the oil too. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray for him. They are to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will, 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 will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So there's one instance where they're laying hands on him and anointing him with oil. He also, I think it's Paul talking to Timothy, says, uh, stir up the gift that is within you by the laying on of hands. Okay, So that's not only is that Old Testament and Jesus' time, but it's New Testament as well. You saw where Jesus uh, you know, rubbed the people's eyes one place he he took saliva and put them on their eyes he was laying hands on uh, you see where Peter's walking by and uh, the guy is begging for alms and he jerks him up he grabs him and touches him and pulls him up 
and that's a, one of the ways of transferring. But then you also have just that residual anointing that's going along with them, almost as a bubble that you can't see, where Peter's walking by, or Paul's walking by, and he says people were within distance of his shadow, and the glory that was within him is overflowing in abundance so much that people are getting healed just as he walks close to them, which is what we were kind of talking about, I think, on Sunday. Um, so now here's the thing you can you can turn it up in you you know uh, it's fasting a lot of times helps turn up that anointing because you're turning down the flesh you know you turn up God you're turning the flesh down you know always because the spirit and the flesh are always warring so as you get in fellowship with God um, Moses was carrying the anointing so much that he started to glow because he had been in the presence of God. Well, that ought to tell us something about our Christianity today. We don't have that many in the presence of God. You know, we could use some more of that. And what we think is the presence of God is probably not as much as what we think it is. In other words, it, it's one of those things we want to make sure that we don't limit ourselves by looking at everybody around us. We want to unlock everything in God because we're looking at Christ and looking to him as our example. And you see that glory in him where he let it go. I, he was, it's almost like he's like on the Mount of Transfiguration. What was flowing and operating in him, he let you know, uh, Peter, James, and John see. You know, and all of a sudden, he let that glory come out. They could see it. And they fell down under the power of it. And, uh, of course, they wanted to get religious on it and start building temples. But uh, that was, uh, it was, to Jesus, is just normal. So, yeah. does that help? Does that answer it? All right, good. Good. Good question. <laughs> okay, so this is something that I don't have any understanding on. I don't, I mean... Maybe it's just nothing to have an understanding of. But um, when I, I was talking with one of my brothers when I was in Texas, and um, <clears throat> we start talking about the Bible, and he starts going off and starts talking about Lilith was before Eve and whoever Lilith was. And I don't know where all that comes from, but it, it wasn't resting with what I know, what I've read and understand. Yeah. And then he brings up, and so, and then at that point, I'm like, he's trying to trap me up in something. And, yeah. But then part of that was my own insecurities because he's really a, a better brain than I am. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to, well, who did Abel go in, or not Abel, Cain go to, and where all these other people come from? And so I basically, I was shut down. So tell me what I need to do so that I don't <laughs> shut down. And who is this Lilith character? I, I don't know anything. Will you hand me that water? Um, so you get ready to... No. Well, it's, it's, almost, it's almost too deep of a topic to try and cover this evening. But basically what you're looking at is, I'm, I'm going to be bold and tell you quickly so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. You're dealing with basically an antichrist spirit that's trying to pervert, you know, what the Bible says about creation and trying to bring in question in that. It's just trying to mix up and and, um, and mess it up. 
ultimately what you end up seeing um, the fruit of you know people that are following after that is a lot of ungodliness a lot of anti-christ type thinking um, and so the fruit kind of shows you the tree in a way and uh, you won't see the fruit of that actually lining up with the fruit of the spirit in that uh, it takes away from faith anytime you try to muddy the waters but it is it is thinking out there there is thinking out there that that's that that's there the question is though where is it in the word and um, you don't really see it there and that's you know uh, but the devil's used that at, tried to use that as a deception and for some people it's worked it, it you go into an area where people um, in Romans 1 you know it says trying to become wise they became fools and eventually God gives them over to a reprobate mind in other words what they're trying to do is they're trying to answer so many questions and seek after knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. It's the same sin as in the garden, you see. And that's the problem. At some point, you're going to have to jump off in faith and trust that God is who he says he is. The, the thing with the Bible is that it very much fulfills itself. When you trust God and have faith in God, those things happen. And if it happens once, it proves what he said. Um, so... There's, that's, that's basically the issue. It's, it's some, you know, trying to get off the lineage and confuse and distort the creation and stuff like that. And, and make an excuse to not listen to God. Ultimately, most, most of the time I've heard people that are, you know, in that, they're just trying to find a reason to not, not say that this is true. And it's kind of like, um, turn the monitors down a little bit, please. And it's kind of like, um, Atheist. I heard somebody recently talking about atheists, and they said, "How come, um, you know, how come that people don't sit back and argue and have complete discussions on the fact that there aren't any unicorns, right? How come they don't uh, argue uh, that there's no leprechauns and stuff like this, and like have have big forums and and discuss it in in uh, you know." you know, big uh, groups and try to debate that. Um, how come they don't debate different religions in that kind of way and come against that like that? And the reason is because those things really aren't real and they know it. In their spirit, they know God is real, but they don't want to line up with what he says, and so they try to just basically confuse the issue. And that's one of those issues. And That came when I was giving some testimony to sure. some stuff too. And that's probably why it wasn't resting with me so well yeah, either. Yeah. Um, so how and the do Holy I Spirit will do that. He'll show you He'll show you exactly what you need to give attention to and what you don't. I don't enter in like if somebody came in and they really wanted to prove that point, I'm not gonna argue them mm -hmm. with them on that. If they are truly seeking, that's a different issue. Most of the time okay. when people are bringing up that issue, they're not truly seeking. They just wanna be right. You know, and that, I can't help that. I, I'm not going to be able to say anything that helps you if you want to be right in your wrong thing. I can't help that. So. That's good. That, that's what yeah. I need to know is just to don't that's, entertain that's, him. That's where the Lord says don't throw your pearls before swine. And what it's saying is don't throw something that's valuable in front of some somebody or something that doesn't value what's valuable. Right. And so I don't try to argue that. That's, you're wasting your time most of the time. Now, there will be times where the Lord can tell you, no, I want you to enter in on this, you know. Um, but that's really rare, 
It, it's a rare thing, but uh, most of the time, the Lord, you know, it's going to be line up with the word that you're not you're not supposed to throw valuable things out there like that. And the truth of God is very valuable. So does that help? Oh yeah. Amen. Yeah. Good. I have one. Hello. <laughs> So in the story about um, about John Osteen, you said that he had told Mark Barclay that he could ask him a question. Is that what you're doing? Are you saying that we can ask you a question? Sort of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you turn the, the monitors. You went about a step too far. Okay. As our pastor, what can we do as a whole to be better sheep? That's good. Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> As our, as a pastor, what can you as sheep do to be better sheep? As our yeah, yeah. Also, like particular to boomerang. Well, it's probably going to be the same answer. Um, are you asking for a list or no? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, make a number one, the number one thing you can do to be better followers of Christ and a better flock of God is um, make a, be in the reset, be in a real fellowship with God. Not, he's my father, um, I'm not just, I don't just have relationship with him, I am hanging out with him on a regular basis, that's number one. Um, number two, and this will come from that, is make a real decision to go all in. Yeah. yeah. That, that, those two things will solve all your problems. Period. It'll solve them, that's, you use getting real fellowship and you go all in and the things that you have wrong that relationship which means you're going to be in the word you're going to be renewing your mind uh, that means your renewed mind is not just going to lead to new facts and revelation it's going to lead you into action and demonstration um, that's you know and being willing to do that um, most people think they're in fellowship and they think they're all in and they're not and even people that have been in fellowship and have been all in before, their flesh is always pulling on them and tugging on them and will draw them back out of that if they don't watch it. And I, I've, I've been in an all-in uh, fellowship with God uh, probably for about 10 years. And um, I've probably stepped out of that 10 to 20 times and had to make my way back into it, you know. And it happens, you know, because you're in a world that's corrupted. You have habits and you have a flesh that's pulling on you. We shouldn't have let, let it affect us, uh, but as human flesh nature, we tend to do that. And if we don't recognize that we tend to do that, you'll find yourself outside of that fellowship and outside of that being all in in a matter of days, you know. Um, and... How does that happen, you know, it, and we've been talking about this some, is how do you build or tear down a wall? It's always one brick at a time. It's the small foxes that ruin the vine. 
Um, I've seen it time and time, and now you who have been here for several years, um, you'll, you've seen it now too. You watch how somebody misses one service. They thought they were strong enough, they miss one service, and their world falls apart, and you don't see them anymore. And that, that, that's one of the biggest things. And it's not just services. Services are not the end all. It's just that's a good example of that. It's the small foxes that ruin the vine. In other words, it's the small decisions. And uh, once you start to realize, you know, and, and some people, they don't like this at all, but it is truth. Um, you know, people like uh, Hitler and, and some of these worst figures in history, um, you're just one decision away from being that person. And because what you don't realize is, you know, here... You know, here they are. Let's say that they're down here. That's the worst person in the world. Oh, hi, pa hey, who's somebody said hi, pastor, right there. Amen. <laughs> so, um, and here you are. You know, maybe in your righteousness right now. But here's what happens. You're like, well, I can't see myself going so far as to be at that place. That's because from here to there is such a big, long way and a big, uh, just, it, I mean, it's so, the contrast is so great from righteousness to unrighteousness, you can't see yourself making that decision. And that's why the devil doesn't present you with that decision. He presents you with, hey, just uh, say that one cuss word. Just, uh, um, don't go to church this, you know, you're, you're too tired. You're not feeling good. Don't, don't go to service on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, he presents you with, and all of a sudden, what you, then he says, you know, have that one drink. Have that one cigarette, you know. Have that, and what you'll find is all of a sudden, they start getting like this, and the gap between the two, your, your inhibitions are lowered and this was just a very small, very small, but all of a sudden, one decision, every time you tell God no, it becomes easier to tell him no. You know? And then you're primed for the next one. All he's got to do is get you in the place where you're focusing more on the flesh than you are on the spirit. Well, at this position, you're focusing a lot more on the flesh than you were here. So you're expecting here to make a good decision like you would have if you were here. But you would, if that was true, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in, in this, at this lower point already. And then all of a sudden, they, they're presented with something bigger, and all of a sudden, they're that person that they hated and, and talked so bad about. That's what happens to ministers all the time. That's why it's so very important. See, people, you know, our world today looks at people as fanatics if they're strict. But see, it's not about being strict. It's about loving God enough to not even take the smallest decision away from him. And it gets easier and easier as you fall down this slope. It becomes easier and easier to say no to God. But here's the great thing about Christ. All right, so what happens is, what, why, did you, why did you make this first decision? Because your eyes went from turning up to turning down. And so it made that decision easy. Right? Yeah. And so that happens. 
the whole way. But anywhere in this process of going down, if you'll just turn your eyes back to him and change direction, it, it's, just as, it's actually easier because you have the power of Jesus helping you out to actually instantly turn around and get back on, on track. You see what I'm saying? It, going this way, you have the resistance of the mercy and grace of God keeping you from falling into a ditch and the warnings and the people around you. It, think about this. How powerful is the mercy of grace in God, but yet how many people actually still end up at these low places? How much resistance did they have to do to overcome the mercy and grace of God to get here? That's eye-opening, isn't it? Because you got to understand, if you know about the goodness and the love of God, man, he's pull, trying to pull you up with everything he's got. He's going to give you everything to empower you to come up out of that ditch. All it is is just changing our, our focus, changing our vision. All of a sudden, it becomes very easy to hear from God. And so going forward, the best thing you can do, keep your eyes on him and just tell him yes quickly. And all of a sudden, you'll be, you'll be back on track. A lot of times... That's what happens when people are really um, moving forward with God is they're just telling God yes a lot. And all of a sudden, they, it, think about people that you've seen that get on fire with God. Does it happen quick or over a long period of time? And what are they doing? It, here's my point. A few quick yeses to God that are continuous will put you above the norm in a matter of days. That's how powerful God is. That's how powerful being all in is. That's why I wish I could make everybody do it. But I can't. And I won't. But I can encourage you to it. You getting something out of this? Good. I have something. I don't know really if it's a question. It kind of goes along with what you're already talking about. But it's like when I come up and get, you know, receive, you know, what's, you know, what we, you have the offer that day or something. I want to be able to keep like that. Like coming up for a prayer. Yeah, coming yeah. up and receiving, you know, yeah. a prayer or, you know, if you want to be more of this or you want to be more on track with God or more on the, all in. I don't want to continue to come up and just get. Yeah. I want to yeah. be able to hang on. And you want to, to take it with you. Take yeah, I take yeah. it with me, but I want to continue it, yeah. and I want Keep to it. to go on up with it. And yeah. sometimes it's you know, I I just don't want you know I just don't want to come get. I want to be able to yeah. to hold on to it and continue to build on that. Yeah, all right. So that's a great question, and let me just kind of take some of that i appreciate you asking that question because that takes guts to ask that question yeah but i want to show you yeah your heart's beat <laughs> i want to show you something I leave and, you know, how many people you. have thought i wish i could do that what she asked like in the last week how many people <laughs> how many people in the last month like i just want to keep it and and let it go yeah. almost everybody so here here's the point most of the time, the reason why it goes is a couple of reasons. Number one, we've been in habits of saying no, saying yes to our flesh and no to God. And those habits need to change. And that's where an all-in doesn't see no to God as an option. 
Okay, so that's a big deal. Um, that that's number one. Number two is the deception that it's supposed to go away. Most people think that it's supposed to go away. They think that this is the only place that that can happen. You, if I'm ever feeling like that and I recognize it, right, this is what I do. Lord, I just thank you. <laughs> I lay hands on myself, right? And I start praying in the Spirit. And I start, because I'm stirring up the gift that is within me, the one that I can turn on at any moment. That's one of the reasons why you know, being filled with the Spirit is so powerful because you have the ability in the midst of mess to turn on like a light bulb with the power and the glory of God and, and automatically have a boldness and a, a empowering to do and say yes to God. Um, so a lot of people don't use that. They think that this place is the only place to get it. Now, we don't teach that, but it's, an, it's like a natural deception that the flesh wants to say and that the devil tries to promote that it only happens here. No, 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 no. It should happen everywhere you go. You are a carrier of the glory of God. You, know? you are, um, look at, uh, do, 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 do. Ali, I, I preached this verse for so long. I think it's Corinthians. And then it's, it's been a while since I preached it now. Where it talks about vessels of uh, gold, it's uh, like 222, 222 or something like that. Vessels of gold and honor. If I can find it real quick. Second Timothy two twenty. All right, so this says I'm gonna read it in the New American Standard, but I'm gonna read it in New Living too. It says, Now in a large house. There are not only uh, gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Okay? Uh, that's like what you're talking about. Sometimes I feel like I'm honoring God, and sometimes I don't. Okay? I'm a vessel. A vessel carries something. So it either carries something big and weighty and pure, or it carries, you know, light stuff, dishonored stuff, unworthy stuff, and uh, not pure. So, therefore, if in, verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. So, if we cleanse ourselves, what it's talking about is, if you look back in verse 19, it says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So it says anyone who cleanses himself from these things, from, from ungodly stuff, in other words, don't do it. Say, say no to the flesh. Say yes to God. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord 
from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, which goes back to your question, Priscilla. Refuse foolish you know, and ignorant speculations, which is what that is. It's basically going against the Holy Word of God. So, um, and it doesn't mean that you should stand up and call them foolish and ignorant. It just means that you don't enter into it, okay? Now, in the uh, New Living, it's, I love the way this says it. And I want you to see this, all right? This is telling us what we should do, but it's also a promise of what happens if we do, okay? Uh, it says, in a, in a wealthy home, in verse 19, it says, All who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. And here's, here's the promise. If you keep yourself pure, all right, so this is conditional, right? If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Now, is that talking to just pastors? You know, no, that's talking to believers. If you keep yourself pure, you will be, you will be, I want to be a special utensil for honorable use in the kingdom of God. I want to be that. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Man, I want to be ready so that if a work passes in front of my eyes, I'm ready. So the precursor to that is me keeping myself clean. Fleeing from what it says here next. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run. Flee. Get away from it. Anything. If it stimulates some kind of youthful lust, that's not just talking about between guys and girls. That's talking about anything that would cause you to not do what God asked you to do. Anything that's saying no to God on the smallest of levels or biggest. If you keep yourself pure, or excuse me, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And that's talking about fellowship with other believers that are truly going after him, not just being religious. Other believers that are pure heart is an all-in heart. Okay, so one of the things is, so this is a conditional. You can either, here's, look at yourself this way. I'm either a vessel of gold and silver, or I'm a vessel of wood and earth. Which one do I want to be? And it's dependent on what do I do. In other words, God can either use me or not use me based on what I do and the choices that I make. And a lot of it comes down to those things in our flesh that we're constantly saying, oh, yeah, I want to do that, you know. I want to watch that movie. I, wanna, I really want to see that or whatever, you know. When God's saying, come spend time with me, you yeah. know, that's, that's what it's saying. So that, does that help? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. And uh, I just want to say this one thing. This, this is the thing that was kind of on my heart when I woke up this morning is um, talking about absolutes. And um, there's a statement that a pastor made to me 
uh, early on in ministry, and he said, absolutes are unbecoming on the lips of novices. In other words, if you are brand new at something, you don't need to be spouting a bunch of absolutes. <laughs> you don't need to be say, making like, like this, um, you know, um, I had one before service, but you don't need to be, you know, spouting out, well, every time this happens, this is the case. You know, this is what it was. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> you, there's a bunch of different variables involved in everything, and you don't know all the variables. It's like what we were talking about earlier. I said there's a bunch of intricacies to, to these things, but it all boils down to the simplicity that God is good. Now, what that statement doesn't say is that absolutes are bad. In other words, when you can make a statement, when you can look at the word and see that God is love, God is good. Those are absolutes, and you should not ever come off of those. If you have anything that ever draws you off of God is love or God is good, it's breaking what he said about himself. You should believe that as a child. But when you come up and you're trying to establish doctrine as a novice, uh, you don't need to do that. And here's the thing. Here's the reason why I say that. In uh, uh, First Peter or Second Peter, Three sixteen, it says this as also in all his letters speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand uh, in other words talking about Paul and the letters he wrote some of them were hard to understand which the untaught and the unstable distort or they wrestle it or they wrench it or twist it um, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction in other words, many times you have people that are untaught on the good things of God, on the strength and the power and the love of God. They're unstable in that. And then they jump right in, and then they try to get into the scriptures, and they end up twisting them, and it takes them to the place of destruction. Many, many times I have people that are sitting in front of me, and they've been under somebody that's given them, that's been really untaught on the love of God, or they've been unstable. And, and they're wondering why they're having this destruction in this life. is because they've accepted an absolute doctrine that was never God, right? And here's the thing. So you've got to watch what's coming out of your mouth. And, and one of the things, uh, you know, Jesus said, you're, you're responsible for every idle word. I think it's Matthew 12, 36. You're responsible for every idle word. And then in James chapter 1 and verse 26, it says this. It says, that person that doesn't know how to control his mouth, <laughs> their religion is worthless. That's what it literally says. They don't know how to do that. So they can act the part all they want to, but they don't know how to say what God says. That religion is worthless to them. Okay? It's not doing them any good to act that way. So... Here's what I'm saying. Absolutes, you have to watch that. You have to watch making absolute statements. And a lot of times the best way to prevent making absolute statements is to do this. Absolute. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. All right? Here's the thing. Now, God can make absolutes. Now, this, and here's the power of it. God can make absolutes. Why? Well, one, he's God. And uh, two, here's the other thing. Think about this. 
God doesn't just throw around his words. They are not cheap to God. His words are not just something that he just, you know, flippantly throws out there. Just, just throws it out there like it's not worth something. So in other words, when he makes a statement like he sent his word and healed them, he means what he says. And it is absolute. And you can take it to the bank. And when he says stuff like, I am love, you can take that to the bank. When he says, when you've tasted of me, you've tasted that I am good. My love. And when he describes it in James 1. And he talks about it being pure. Right? And there's no variableness to my love, nor shadow of turning. You can take that to the bank. In other words, our words may not have been as valuable to us as they are to God up to this point. And maybe we've thrown around some absolutes that we should probably back off of because there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. And if you think you understand it, go and read the last few chapters of Job when he's correcting Job on what he thought he knew. Go and those those questions will you know where were you when I established this and I did this and I told the ocean to only come this far and how does this stuff work and all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden you'll realize there's a lot more stuff involved here than I knew I just be quiet and that's a good thing don't put absolutes on your mouth unless God has said them to Himself and if He said them then trust Him as a child. And that will settle a lot of problems in your life. A lot of times we just need to be quiet and trust God. And do what he says. He doesn't throw those things around. And uh, so, Lord, we just thank you this evening. We praise you. Lord, we just worship you and we give you the glory. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let our lives honor you. And worship you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Lord, we praise you. We give you the glory. Lord, let us open the doors of our lives that, so that you can flood out. That you can flood in and flood out. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can move in your love and show the world your love. Show the world your light. And they can see that light and know that you are willing, you are uh, acceptable and good, and that your will is awesome. Lord, let our light shine, and let the glory of you rise in us, so that the world can see it more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Have a great night.